Once again, it's a joy to be here with you. I've been saying I was looking forward to coming to Denton so I could finally have some warmth and a little break from the wind, but apparently that was not in God's plan, and uh, it got cold today, so uh, I feel like I'm right at home. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you've come to be with us. If you're visiting from the community, uh, we want you to know that you're our honored guest. We're very honored by your presence, and we are thankful that you've chosen to be here, and we hope that you will be blessed by this assembly this evening. As was mentioned earlier, we're doing a series of studies on the subject of holiness, and in particular, we're talking about spiritual keys to holiness. And uh, last night, we talked about virtue and how virtue relates to holiness. And one of the verses that we looked at was from 2 Corinthians 7, And verse 1. And in that particular verse, he makes it a point to say, Therefore, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from the lust of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. When we think about cleanse ourselves, friends, he's not saying wash away our own sins. But what he is pointing to is the fact that you and I have a responsibility as children of God, having God as our Father, being called to a holy calling, that we are to abstain from fleshly lusts. And so tonight we're going to talk about the subject of temperance and how that relates to that. Now, in every one of these studies, there's bound to be a little bit of overlap, and we're not going to be repetitive and go back and revisit things that we've already revisited Uh, to any extent, but there will be a little bit of overlap tonight, maybe from a different angle. Um, We're going to start again in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5 this time. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Peter writing, but says, Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness Charity. Now, before we go to the next verse, I want to notice the very first words on the screen. He says, beside this, giving all diligence. What do you think of when you read the word diligence? The very word itself means to make haste. You know, when you make haste towards something, you do that why? Out of a sense of urgency. You know, there's some things we don't get in a hurry about. Michael learned yesterday, I don't get in a hurry about driving in metro traffic. (laughs) That frustrated him a little bit. I think he thinks it's a little more urgent. I disagree. (laughs) But there's some things that are urgent. Now, when when our kids were growing up, especially Van, when he was very small, every now and again he would fall and he'd get hurt, and I'd just watch him. And uh, because I knew he's not really injured, he just fell and he'll get over it. But, you know, sometimes you see a kid running, and it's kind of like a train wreck. You can't look away, and it happens really slow. And and they crash into something, and you run over real quick. There's an urgency that happens when we think something's important and valuable. And, friends, when it comes to Christian growth, when it comes to spiritual maturity, it's urgent. And he doesn't say, hey, you know, it would be a good idea... Now that you believe in Jesus and you become a part of God's family, it would be a really good idea if you might think about adding virtue and temperance. He said, no, giving all diligence. Make an effort. Strive. This is important. It's urgent. 
And then he says this. He says, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if these things, that is virtue, knowledge, temperance, so on, if these things be in you. You know, Gatorade's changed their slogan. I remember when it was just Gatorade, the thirst quencher. Now it's, is it in you? And they're just talking about thirst. <laughs> but I want you to think about these words. If these things be in you. Not if we just may be temperate, but are temperate. They don't just become something we do, but they come, become a part of who we are. If these things be in you, and he says, and they abound, which means to overflow. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands, but think in your own mind, how many of us here tonight can say, I have an abundance, more than enough self-control in my life? More than I need. He says, if these things are in you and they abound, they overflow, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. The word barren here, when I think of barren, I think of Midland Odessa. But that's not what the word barren here means. It actually means that the definition that's given is free from labor. That's the politically correct way of saying lazy. Lazy. You ever feel lazy in the kingdom of God? Like you're not doing enough? Maybe you're not motivated? You know, when you find a person that is spiritually growing and they're thriving and they're working to mature in their walk with God, you're going to find somebody that's active and fruitful in God's kingdom. And the other result is the same. If we're not growing, if we're not working, if we're not diligent, we're not going to be fruitful. And friends, we're going to be lazy. So again, these things, as we noted last night, all have a common goal, a goal of repentance and also a goal of renewal. That is a spiritual renovation, a changing of not only the outer, but of the inner. But tonight, we're going to talk about repentance as it relates to what we might say behavior modification. Now, behavior modification is not the entirety of repentance and renewal, but it is an element of that. And that's where temperance really comes into play is in the idea of behavior modification, controlling oneself. And that's what the very word means. And I'm not going to try to pronounce that because I probably mess it up. But um, the Greek word literally means self-control. And it's translated that way in some other translations like the New King James Version. A little sub-definition of this word is given as the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. Mastering one's passions and desires. Not that I've lied to you, but can I be very honest with you? I don't really feel like in my life that I have mastered my desires and passions. Do you? Do you still fail from time to time? I think we all understand we, we fail from time to time. We give in to the flesh. And I think that's why this subject in particular is so important because we all need temperance. We need more self-control. We need abundance of self-control. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9 and there verse 25, here Paul writing says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable ground. I went to a track meet the other day, and, and we watched a lot of kids run. And I'll tell you, I would say that I ran track, but that probably would not be an accurate description. I participated in track, and uh, I also participated in cross country. And I didn't do that by choice. I did that because coach told me, you're going to run cross country. And even though I protested, he said, if you're going to play basketball, you're going to run cross country. I said, okay, I'll run cross country for conditioning. And he said, no, you're going to run in the meets. <sighs> okay. I was the guy that usually came in 10th place from last out of a pack of probably 100 and something runners. And, and that was tough. Okay, it was tough for me. But there was a reason why. And, and it wasn't because we didn't train. It was because when we trained, I didn't care. I just didn't care. And that's different from the person that does care and trains, but I just didn't care. I was out there because I wanted to play basketball, and he told me, you have to do this or else. But, you know, there were guys that were, man, they were conditioned, and they were good. And, and those guys, they just got smaller and smaller and smaller as I ran. I watched those guys just fade away. But they were disciplined. They were temperate. You know, he's not talking about running a physical race here, but he's comparing the life that we live to a physical race. And friends, if you're going to compete in the race, he says, you've got to be temperate, you've got to be controlled, you've got to be disciplined. And so he says this, Therefore I run thus, or I run in this way, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest it by any means when I preach to others... I myself should become disqualified. Now let's look at three things that he says here. And the first thing that he says here is this. He says, I'm running a race. And he says, I don't do that not understanding the race. I don't run with uncertainty. He says, I know where I'm headed. I know where the finish line is. I know what direction I'm headed. I'm running a certain way. He said, I'm not like a person that fights and beats the air. I remember years ago, we got really excited about a very... Uh, well, what we thought was going to be epic boxing match between two titans of the sport, and when they fought, it was so boring. Because you know what they did? They beat the air for 12 rounds. I don't think there was like 10 punches that actually made an effect on the other fighter. They just sat there and threw their arms out. It was so boring. That's what he's saying. I don't, I'm not like a fighter that's just punching the air. You know what he's saying? I fight with purpose. I run with purpose. I run toward the goal. I'm not just running. I'm not just fighting. I know what I'm fighting. And he says, I discipline my body. And I bring it into subjection. You know what the word discipline here means? It means literally I beat myself. I buffet myself. You know, discipline is not pleasant but it's necessary it's always necessary and friends discipline is necessary in every aspect of life and Paul said you know there's a reason why I run this way there's a reason why 
I'm disciplined. And he says, the reason is this, because I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell others about Christ. And I'm going to tell others about the salvation that's in Christ. And I'm going to talk to other people about control. And if I don't control myself and I'm not disciplined, I disqualify myself from preaching that message. See, if we don't live a life of temperance, why would we expect that anybody else would live a life of temperance? Why would we expect anyone will listen to us if we ourselves don't live a life of control? You know what we do? We, we become satisfied with some of the vices that are in our life. You know why? Because those vices have kind of become a part of who we are. They've just become a challenge that has been a lifelong challenge. They've become a struggle that we've just sort of decided, well, I'm just not going to beat that. And so we just shove it under the rug and we worry about everything else. But the truth is, it's not just a vice. It's not just a weakness, friends. We're at war. From the English Standard Version, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh, and these are opposite to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish or the things that you desire. Friends, we're in a war. There's a fight going on within us. And I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you fighting the fight? And as you're fighting the fight, are you just beating the air? You say, what do you mean? We can't just say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be more tempered. I'm going to be more controlled overall. You're going to have to be a little bit more identifying than that. I'm going to be temperate in the area of my pride. I'm going to be more temperate in the area of my mouth. You've got to work on specific areas of your life because those are the things that are going to creep up on us. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Last night, we ended the uh, lesson with a thought of where is our citizenship? And that's the same thing he's talking about here. He says, as sojourners, as pilgrims, you know, we sing a song from time to time, this world is not our home. Do we mean that when we say those words? You know, I'm going to tell you, I've got a pretty nice home. It's about 2,000 square foot. I've got an in-home office. We've got climate control, air conditioning, a nice, comfortable bed. We've got food in the refrigerator. It's nice. We live in a society of prosperity, a land of plenty. And every now and again, we feel like we're right at home. And it's in those moments that we lose sight of the prize, lose sight of the finish line, and some weakness comes in our life and it grabs us. He says, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, people that don't belong in this world, don't be of the world. You have to abstain from fleshly lust, not because they're a vice or a weakness, but because they're warring against your soul. Do you know the enemy? 
You say, yes, Satan. Okay. I'm going to tell you the other enemy. This right here. Because I've got desires and I've got passions and they may be part of my personality and part of my makeup. They may be familiar to me, but they're warring against my soul. I've got to fight me. I've got to battle my desires, my lusts. Are you in the battle? You know, Paul describes this battle to us in Romans chapter 7. Paul says this, he says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, if you're like me, you read that, and you kind of get lost in all of that, because there's a whole lot said here. So, for our clarity's sake, I want to highlight everything that regards the Spirit in blue and everything in the flesh in red, and look at it again. He said, you know what I do? I don't allow that. I remember one day, my son and this other boy were arguing, and uh, it got a little out of hand, and so my son hit this kid. And without even thinking, I reached over and I went, whack! And I said, we don't hit! (laughs) That went over really well. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of things that I allow in my life, I don't allow in other people's lives. You know, Jesus talked about that very thing, about having a beam in your eye. You don't see clearly, even though you're sitting here trying to pull this little speck of sawdust out of somebody else's eye. You got this tube of four sticking out of your forehead that's running your perception. He says, the things I do, I don't allow those things. He said, what I want to do, he says, I don't do it. I know I need to do it. I know I should do it. But those are things, sometimes I don't do those. He says, what I hate I do that very thing. He says, if I then do that, which I don't want to do, he said, I consent under the law that it is good. And we have to go back in the chapter to kind of understand that. We're not going to take time to do that. But he says, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Friends, we all need to be aware of something that the reason why we fail, the reason why we have those weaknesses, the reason why we give in to those weaknesses is because everybody in here has a fleshly nature that lives within them. And we can say, well, I'm under grace and I'm walking in the Spirit. and That's fine, but you still need to be aware that that fleshly nature still can creep up in your life and it can take your life back over. We have to be aware of the battle that we're in. And I know that maybe you're like me and you've made excuses. And you've said, well, you know, I've tried, but I just can't. I've tried, but I can't. And I want you to listen very closely to the words that Paul spoke in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. He said, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. I want to repeat that. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
Now, what he didn't say was, look, God is going to make sure that you don't have to bear temptation. He's going to take the temptation away. That's not what he said. He said, God will make an escape. He will provide you a way to bear the temptation. You may always live your life with some of the temptations that are attached to your desires. It doesn't mean you have to yield to them. It doesn't mean you have to give in to them. And I'm going to tell you, there's never a time in life when we have to. Never. And if we're going to say, well, the temptation was too much, I just had to do it, then we're calling God not faithful. Because Paul said, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to endure. There's always a way of escape. And you know what? Sometimes that way of escape is simple. It's a pausing, it's a reflecting, and a prayer. Sometimes that's the escape. Sometimes the escape is just like what we see in the story of Joseph, and it's a physical running in the other direction, away from temptation. And you know God expects us to be temperate. He doesn't just want us to be. He doesn't just suggest that it's a good thing. God expects that every one of his children would live their life in self-control. And there's various areas where God has commanded that. And one of those areas is talked about in Proverbs 25 and verse 28, where he says, He that hath no rule over his spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. Now, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to our modern times because we don't normally build walls around cities. We'd probably think that was a little strange. But in times where there was a feudal system and in times where there were uh, warmongers and things like that, uh, you having walls around your city was a protective way to protect your citizens, protect your city from being overthrown. And so he says, look, a person that doesn't have control of their spirit is like a city that's unprotected. We do have security systems in our homes, don't we? You know, those things are no good if they're turned off. And they're no good if there's no alert system. They're useless if they don't work right. Well, think about what he's really saying here. What does he mean, a person who has no rule over his spirit? He's saying a person who doesn't control their inner man. That's a person who's unprotected from the enemy. We might call this emotional, emotionally driven. Someone who follows their passions and their desires. Friends, there's nothing wrong with having feelings. God designed us with feelings. He designed us with emotions. But what is wrong is to let those emotions be the guide in our life. Because for a lot of people, those emotions, they become a rudder on the back of a ship and they push us wherever they want to. You've got to control your emotions. God expects that of you. That's an area where he commands us to be temperate and controlled. And not only does God expect us to control our emotions, he expects us to control that which is connected to our emotions. And one of those things is our mouth. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, when I read the word corrupt communication or corrupt words, you know what I think of? Stuff like cursing and things that are perverted. And I think that's all true. 
But let's just stop for a minute. Let's look at what he says, and let's see what he means by corrupt words. He contrasts corrupt words with words that do what? Words that are good for building up, words that impart grace to the hearer. We've just broadened the spectrum, haven't we? Because, you know, sometimes we may not say something that's necessarily cursing or sinful or uh, we might say uh, dirty, but we may say things to one another that are condescending. You are so smart. Do we really mean that you're really smart? Well, that was nice. (laughs) Great job there. You know how that makes me feel? About that tall. Doesn't build me up. Tears me down. Does you too, doesn't it? That type of language is corrupt. It is not words that build up. It doesn't impart grace to the hearer. It's discouraging. I'm going to tell you what's sad is that's the way we talk to our brothers and sisters at times. Shame on us if we do that. Shame on us. If we run down our brothers and sisters and we try to make them feel like they're inferior to us and that we're better than them, shame on us for that. God expects better of his people and he commands better of his people. James chapter 1 and verse 19, he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, (laughs) on the surface of this verse and just looking at it by itself, we look at this and we say, so we're supposed to be slow slow to speak with one another. We're supposed to be quick to listen to one another. Well, there's biblical principles that govern that. Uh, a man who answers a matter before hearing it, that's folly to him. That's a verse that would say that. This verse doesn't say that. And I want you to grab a Bible with me for a minute because we're going to read a few verses. Uh, or open your phone or whatever you've got. There's one. I want you to turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I think it's necessary that we read what's around this passage of Scripture so that we understand what's being taught here. James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18, the verse before this. <coughs> James 1, 18. <coughs> he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now listen, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Let's continue reading. For the wrath of man does not work the righteousness or does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, now listen, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. When he says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, what's he saying we should be swift to hear? The word of truth which he brought us forth through. The implanted word, which is able to save our souls. Notice he contrasts wrath 
with meekness or gentleness. Down in verse 21. This is about how we receive instruction from God's word. And we lose the power of that when we don't understand that because I want you to think about what's said here in regard to being slow to speak, swift to hear, slow to wrath. Maybe you're like me and you saw something in God's word and rather than listening, you thought, I need to make a rebuttal. Or maybe it made you upset, whatever you read in God's word. Instead of receiving God's word with meekness, you receive it with wrath. And be sure, friends, just as he says, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God not only expects us to control what we say, he expects us to control how we hear. And he expects us, when God's word's being spoken, to do that with temperance. And to listen to his word. And not just to listen, but to receive it. Don't receive it in anger. Don't receive it with arguments in, your, in, the, in the back of your mind. Don't receive it with wrath. But what does he say? He says, receive it with meekness. And then in verse 22, he says, be ye a doer of the word and not a hearer only. God expects us to be controlled with the way that we handle and receive his, and hear his word. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 18, Jesus speaking here says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Now this is where it gets a little bit hot for me because God not only expects me to control what I do, what I say, how I hear, but also what I think. That's a tough one. You say, well, sometimes thoughts just creep up in my mind. They do mine too. <laughs> what do you do with those things? Well, he tells us here that sometimes those thoughts become a part of our heart and then those things manifest themselves in an ungodly way. I want to read from 2 Corinthians 10, and we're going to go back to this idea that we're all in a war, okay? These fleshly lusts, they war against our soul. Here's the battleground. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now listen, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know what? I'm, I have ungodly thoughts too. I have desirable, uh, ungodly desires that even come into my mind. And what do we do with those? Well, we, we go, well, that's just not there. <laughs> no. He says, you take those thoughts captive. You take them prisoner to the obedience of Christ. I may have a thought, but it doesn't mean I have to dwell on a thought. It doesn't mean I have to consider a thought. And maybe you've heard the old saying that a a bird might land on your head, but you don't have to let it make a nest. <laughs> Change your thoughts. Think about something else. Once again, pray when those ungodly thoughts hit us. You know, Job made some very difficult decisions in his life so that he wouldn't think ungodly thoughts. One of the things he says in Job chapter 31 and 1 is, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? You see the connection between thinking on a woman and looking on a woman? You see, you know how I don't think on a, on a woman in an ungodly way? I quit looking at her. 
I do something else with my eyes. And here's the thing about the heart. Nothing is going to get in your heart except through the highway to your heart. And that's through your eyes and your ears. And that's why Solomon said in Proverbs 4 and 23, Guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring forth the issues of life. How much do we guard our heart? See, God doesn't just expect me to control what I think about and what I dwell on in my mind. He holds me accountable for that. And friends, the only way that we can keep our heart from leading us to ungodliness is to control what we look at and the things that we hear. And I'm going to tell you, when you're watching and listening to garbage all day, every day, and then you have ungodly thoughts, you reap what you sow. Reap what you sow. Paul says in Romans 13 and 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. He's identified the lust of the flesh as being the enemy, that which wars against our soul. And what do we do? We provide opportunities for that flesh, that enemy, to come in and just take us over. You know what the word provision here means? It literally means forethought. And I'll tell you what I think about when I think about this concept is, is deer hunting. And I know I'm a redneck. That's okay. I'm going to explain this. But uh, I love to bow hunt deer. And I used to bow hunt with a rifle. And I'll tell you, it's very different. Uh, bow hunt with a rifle. Deer hunt with a rifle. I'm not crazy. Just can't communicate sometimes. <laughs> deer hunting with a rifle is a whole different animal, if you will. You can sit out for hundreds of yards and watch a deer. It never know you're there. You can fire the gun. Wait, go get it. Bow hunting's not that way. It's up close. It's personal. And you can't normally just walk out into a field, sit down by a tree, and bow hunt a deer. You've got to go up there and you've got to scout. You've got to find the place where deer are coming through, and you've got to find a place to set up some sort of a blind or camouflage. And you may have to do all these other things to provide an opportunity for you to be ensured success on your hunt. That's forethought. And we do that in our lives in order to commit sin. We'll go out. We'll scout, we'll find a way to fulfill a fleshly lust. And friends, that is a war against our soul. We're not fighting the battle. We're not beating the enemy. We're not even beating the air. We're just laying down and giving up and surrendering to the flesh. Does that sound like temperance? Does that sound like godliness? Does that sound like virtue? In contrast to this idea, he says, This I say, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not just about, as we read in James, laying apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. It's not just about cutting off the sin in our life and not doing those, but it's about doing something different. Doing something godly. And I would say it this way. Instead of making physical and fleshly investments, make spiritual investments. Quit investing your time doing fleshly things. 
Walk in the Spirit. What's he mean, walk in the Spirit? Well, after this, he starts to mention the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, temperance, meekness. Temperance. (laughs) It's a fruit of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Walk like Christ walked. Live like Christ lived. Talk like Christ talked. Think like Christ thought. Walk in the Spirit, he says, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It doesn't mean those lusts may not be there. It doesn't mean you're never going to be tempted. But he says it will make it where you won't fulfill them. Just a couple verses later, he says this, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Do you remember when you obeyed the gospel of Christ and you went down into the water? Do you remember what happened when you did that? You know, Paul wrote to the Romans, and in chapter 6, he reminded them of what had happened when they did that very thing. You know what he said? In Romans 6 and 3, he said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And in verse 6 he says this, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. What do you mean by that? Why did he tell them that? Do you think it's because they didn't know that baptism saved them? No, they knew that. That's not, that wasn't his point. His point was this. You died in the waters of baptism. You were crucified with Christ. Your old man was put to death. You've crucified the affections and the lusts. Why are you living in sin? Why are you thinking you can continue in sin and that grace may abound? You died. You died. You know what that means? He says, this is what it means. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. You know... We talked about the fact that Jesus told some people at one time, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And they said, free? (laughs) From what? We don't need your freedom. We're Abraham's seed and we're not ever in bondage to any man. How are you saying you'll make us free? And Jesus said, whosoever commit sin whoever practices sin is a slave to sin do you think that's what God called us into his church into his kingdom into his family to be servants of our own lusts because I tell you those things they're not just vices if we're not careful they'll become our Lord And we will bow down at the altar of our own fleshly desires and we'll worship. 
And he said, don't let those sins reign in your mortal body. Don't let them be king. Don't let them control you. And think of that in contrast to the opening text that we read where Paul said, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. Paul said, I'm the boss. I control me. I control my lust. I tell my body what to do. Well, that's vastly different from sin telling my body what to do, my lust telling my body what to do. You're in control. And oftentimes we're not in in control because we've forgotten who really is the master. And I just told you, (laughs) I control my body. But I'll tell you who's really in control when we do that. It's Jesus. And Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, he's talking about money and God, but I'm going to tell you, friends, that's a generic truth. We can't serve two masters. No matter what that other master is, we can't serve it. And I can't serve the will of Ian and serve the will of God. I can't do that. I'm going to serve one or the other. And I can't be devoted to the will of Ian, to the heart of Ian, and to the will and word of God. I've got to make a choice, and so do you. You've got to make a choice. He says, for this is the will of God. 1 Peter chapter 2.15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now listen, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. I told you we'd revisit some things from last night, and here's where I really want to do that. Being free through the grace that's in Christ means that we're free from the law of sin and death. That's what it means. And it means that I have an advocate with the Father, that my sins have been paid for, and that the blood of Jesus cleanses me as I walk with him in faith. That's what it means. But here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that I'm free to do whatever I want, to live however I want, and to use that freedom as a cloak to give in to my desires. It doesn't mean that. Last verse. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to who you obey. Whether of sin unto death or as obedience unto righteousness. How big a deal is it really that we be temperate? How big a deal is it? I heard this story about a man one time, and uh, he was a financial guru, kind of a motivational speaker. He was telling the entire crowd he could make them millionaires if they just follow his plan. There was one guy in the crowd that just kept shaking his head no. And it frustrated that speaker, and he finally stopped his speech, and he said, Why are you shaking your head? And he said, Because you're a liar. And he said, well, what have I lied about? He said, you said I'll be a millionaire. I'll never be a millionaire. And he said, would you come up here with me for a moment? And so he came up there with him. And this financial speaker pulled out a bucket and set it on a table. And he said, would you look in that bucket? And the man walked over and he looked over in the bucket. And this financial planner took this man's head and he shoved his head down into this bucket. And that bucket was full of water. And, of course, this man immediately started fighting. 
And he was gasping for trying to find any way to get out of that bucket. And he finally did. He fought the man off, pushed him out of the way, nearly knocked him down. He come out and he was angry and he was huffing and he was puffing. And he said, what's wrong with you? You're crazy. And he said, when you want a million dollars as bad as you wanted your head out of that bucket, you'll be a millionaire. You know why? Because that was life and death. Life and death. So was this. It's life and death. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Friends, this is life and death. It's serious. Maybe you've been living your life following your own lust. Maybe you have guided your own way. And maybe you've been using your liberty as a cloak for vice. Friends, it's time to make a change in life. And I'll tell you, the first, time, the first way to do that is to come to Jesus and ask for his help. And he will advocate for you with the Father. And you can get a fresh start. You need temperance in your life. We offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. Come have a seat. We will help you as we stand and we sing.